podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Podcasting to you from a field here in beautiful rural Ireland, I'm Trev Denny. And this is Money Talks with Mo Chatra. And on a day when we had the following announcement from FSG, we could really do with a chat. And the statement went as follows. There have been a number of recent changes of ownership and rumours of changes of ownership at EPL clubs. And inevitably, we are asked regularly about Fenway Sports Group's ownership in Liverpool. FSG has frequently received expressions of interest from third parties seeking to become shareholders in Liverpool. FSG has said before that under the right terms and conditions, we will consider new shareholders if it was in the best interests of Liverpool as a club. FSG remains fully committed to the success of Liverpool both on and off the pitch. Now, Mo, this is being taken in various ways by different types of fans. Some people are saying that doesn't say anything. Other people are saying that wouldn't be getting put out there if there wasn't an intention that's quite serious. So we have to treat it as if it's potentially quite serious. It's a strange thing to put out if it's not. Um, It doesn't seem to make a whole lot of sense to put it out if it's not. So my opening question to you, Mo, like like one of those uh, American TV shows, what are we learning? What do you know? Well, I'll tell you what, Trev. Um, I, I was in a meeting at work today for four hours straight, pretty much, and uh, I wasn't looking at my phone. Um, it finished at just before four p.m. today, UK time. And um, when I when I checked my phone, there were messages on there such as "Where is Mo? What has happened to Mo?" Um, I thought, <laughs> what is it? "What's what's going on here?" <laughs> Was there stories of my premature demise or something like that? <laughs> um, upon further reading, I actually learned that, uh, no, indeed, um, you know, the story being broken by David Ornstein of The Athletic, that um, where's the effect of Liverpool FC um, might be for sale or are for sale. Now, um, this, as I say, happened uh, just before four o'clock before I learned this. And as we recall this, it, it's just gone 7 p.m. UK time. So. This all happened in the last three hours for, for me, and so I've tried to piece together what's going on, what's out there uh, publicly, but also what might be going on privately. And so I've had one or two conversations, and and I hate to be that guy that says oh, I know something that I can't share, but you know, in, in this situation, I genuinely can't share one or two things. But what I can say is that there is one hundred percent genuine interest from multiple parties, and also um, it definitely appears that. Um, FSG now are open um, publicly to selling the club. And the reason I say open publicly is because 
one of the things I've talked about for quite some time is that privately, if the right offer were to come along, um, they had been open to selling the club for quite some time. So as I mentioned on Money Talks not long ago, um, we had um, Adam Crafton, wonderful journalist, also of The Athletic, who joined me on this podcast four years ago um, to talk about an investigation he conducted looking into um, a potential offer made to FSG. And one of the things that was very clear was that FSG, even then, were definitely open to sale. And he, it wasn't just um, he said, she said. It was, it was none of that. It was he, uh, Adam had actually seen uh, firsthand evidence, you know, documentation, emails, other correspondence, which made it very abundantly clear FSG were, were definitely open at that time um, for a full sale. So from the conversations that I've had, um, there have been things that have been going on in, in recent days. Um, and then beyond that, um, there had been some discussions within FSG going back to um, a couple of months ago around um, what happened over the summer. And what happened over the summer um, specifically was the sale of Chelsea Football Club. Um, that was um, sold as a distressed asset, if you want to call it that, whereby the owner was effectively forced into selling the club. And the expectation was because of that forced sale and because of the speed in which the sale had to go through, um, the, the common belief was that Chelsea would sell for um, you know, maybe a, a billion, billion and a half. It sold for 2.25 billion. There was huge interest in Chelsea. A number of very credible bidders came forward. And on top of that, there was also um, a, a very clear indication um, that a Premier League marquee football club was at the top of the shopping list for the very wealthiest individuals and groups in the globe. And when that sale then went through for the Bodhi Consortium, um, there were still left several groups um, who were still nonetheless keen on buying a marquee asset in the Premier League and um, looked at where else they could potentially shop around. And, you know, one or two of those interested parties um, then turned their in interest towards uh, the northwest of England and specifically to Liverpool Football Club. And one or two, in fact, had also looked into Manchester United, um, but the, the Glazers um, were not um, unanimous in, winning, in, in wanting to sell uh, that marquee asset of theirs. Um, and then so, you know, it, but you, you've got to bear in mind a lot of these people that are interested in buying are, are not exactly um, the, the type that are, you know, through and through fans of these clubs. Um, you know, they, um, you know, look at um, buying a Premier League club a bit like buying um, a Picasso. And, you know, it, it, whereas, you know, 20, 30 years ago, it was all about owning the hottest commodity in the arts market. Now it's about much bigger stakes and owning um, a prestigious uh, football club that's renowned the world over. And there's very, very few clubs um, of a greater and bigger and more illustrious profile than Liverpool. And so with that interest in Chelsea, the sales figure that was achieved um, and also um, one or two other factors as well, um, I, I think FSG 
um, have done a bit of what we can call soft market testing, learned and realized that actually there's pretty healthy interest. And I think that the uh, announcement that has come out today is not by uh, some unintentional or intentional leak. Um, it is um, definitely um, intentional and it's for a very specific purpose. And in my view, that purpose is to start a bidding war. And the only way that is really achievable is by going public with this. Yeah, and who who better to go uh, via than Ornstein, who seems to be one of the most trusted, if not the most trusted. Uh, the fact that it's out there via him, I think gives the lie to people who are inclined to say, but read the statement, like the statement I read at the top of the show. It doesn't say anything. It potentially someone could come in and buy a stake or a part of the club or an interest in the club and so on and so forth. But we have uh, quite a lot of reasons to think that it may be more serious than that. You've hinted at a few of them. And I want to talk to you in a few minutes about what you think if FSG are looking to sell, they might be looking for them. But in perspective, buyers, if we're to take their word um, in what they said in their statement, and then later we might look at who those buyers might be. But just to drill down into this reason of why it might be coming out now, the timing of it is very interesting uh, with the break coming up, the World Cup coming up. Um, the situation at the club at the moment, we've all been sort of scratching our heads around the um, lack of, of midfield recruits and stuff like that in the summer. So my question to you now is, why now? Why is this the time? You mentioned the context of Chelsea and the little bit of almost like um, whether deliberate or, 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 or just a, um, voyeuristic market testing going on there. But I was listening to young Hendrik earlier on. He seems to think the FSG may have other motivations uh, as to why now they're potentially open, uh, open to selling. Uh, do you have any ideas around that? Yeah, I have several. Um, so, right. First of all, we know that back in 2010, when they decided to express an interest in buying Liverpool Football Club, which itself at that point was a distressed asset of sorts in that, you know, it's well documented, obviously, that uh, well, Bank of Scotland, one of the uh, major funders that facilitated the deal, um, or Hicks and Gillette, um, were looking for their loan to be repaid and repaid um, very, very uh, uh, imminently at that point in time. And um, Hicks and Gillette were not really in a position to repay it and were struggling to um refinance that deal and the club therefore was in in jeopardy in grave jeopardy that's all obviously very well documented so fsg came along along with several other groups um but fsg were able to persuade um broughton and um you know the other individuals that were charged with um completing the sale that they were the right fit for liverpool football club but it was always evident that it was bought as an investment. They bought it to sell it on. Now, if you look at the principal two individuals involved in FSG, they are, um, you know, Tom Werner and John W. Henry. And both individuals are now in their 70s. And bear in mind, they bought the club um, for £300 million. The club is now worth probably 10 times that. 
So if they were to sell at this point in time, they would make an, an enormous um, return on their investment. And you could argue, well, why not hold on for another five, ten years? Surely the, the value of the club will increase. It could, but it may not. Um, at this point in time, um, it, it certainly seems like um, you know there are various factors that mean that the value of the club might be at its optimum. Um, and you know we we know the background of John W. Henry in terms of hedge fund, and you know he he built a career based on deciding whether to sell or buy. And, uh, you know, he, he's a very, very smart cookie, very clearly. And I think that he and his other fellow investors within FSG have looked at all of the different factors and felt that overall, right, this may be the time to sell. Now, one of the things I've learned linked to that is that um, what FSG are looking at as a big investment um much closer to their home in Boston is the redevelopment of um, the area around Fenway Park. So Fenway Park obviously is the home of the Boston Red Sox and they have developed uh, with one or two partners um, very, very grand plans for the redevelopment of a very large area around Fenway Park for um, retail, for leisure, uh, for office space, and whatnot, and all of this investment to de deliver these redevelopment plans will run into potentially several billion pounds. So, where are they going to get this money from? Um, the, the the understanding I have is that you know they have been struggling to source these funds, uh, but they are very keen to deliver this redevelopment uh, project um, for the area around Fenway Park. And so, what better way to raise the money for this than to sell um, one of their key assets, though an asset that, let's be frank, they do simply not have the emotional attachment to compared to the Boston Red Sox. And obviously, we, we know that they are um, Boston-based. So by selling Liverpool Football Club, it raises the money to then invest into this grand plan for redevelopment around Fenway Park and uh, allows them to potentially pocket some other money besides to deliver on one or two other projects. We know that they invested into an NHL ice hockey um, uh, franchise last year, and they have had their eyes on an NBA franchise um, for a while now. So again, money is required um, to deliver on that. And we know that one of the um, most famous members of uh, FSG is LeBron James, uh, who obviously is, is one of the most decorated basketball players of all time. And clearly he will be very keen on the idea of FSG potentially buying into um, an NBA franchise. So uh, investments in, in um, the United States into um, other interests is clearly up at the top of their agenda. But then on top of that, um, we also know that um, we have a situation with um, the footballing landscape that I talked about on Money Talks when I was with you last, whereby FFP as we knew it is for all intents and purposes going and it's being replaced by something that arguably um, allows 
the super rich even more freedom um, to flex their financial muscle and achieve even less of a le- level playing, playing field um, for other clubs. And so I think that that is another factor as well. They have looked at how they can compete with the likes of Manchester City and now Newcastle United under the ownership that they have and thought, well, look, can, can we do this club justice? Can we deliver the calibre of players that the fans not only expect but demand? Or um, are, we, are we perhaps going to struggle longer term to achieve success with this self-sustaining model that you know we've had in place since day one? And maybe they felt that, look, you know, as much as we'd like to think we can continue to defy the odds, the reality is perhaps that we can't. And so, again, I, th- I think that will have played into their uh, mindset as well when, when coming to this decision. Hello, I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa. He does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable, they're every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. I think that's really fascinating. Uh, I had listened to Dave talking about the uh, interest they had in an ex- uh, NBA expansion uh, franchise, but I had no idea about this idea of the development around Fenway. And of course, when rich men become old, they become uh, obsessed with legacy. And to me, that makes perfect sense that that's what guys like that would want. Um, it's It's a perfect sort of... Uh, legacy vanity project for an older man uh, to feel like he'd left an impact on a place. Uh, it, it makes a lot of sense to me that more I have to say. And if we take them at their word, um, they are going to have certain standards when they're looking for prospective buyers. Um, but that's if we take them at their word. What do you think they're going to look for in someone who might buy the club? Um, is it just going to come down to bottom line? Because, you know, we can't be naive about this either. The, people say the right things all the time and they've mostly said the right things. And when they haven't, they've corrected themselves and said the right things afterwards and apologized for saying the wrong things. So um, we know that they can be quite political and diplomatic in that regard. So they're not going to make a statement that, that, that that's, you know, doesn't, doesn't at least aspire to um, uh, the decent custodian levels that they've uh, maintained in any selling process. However, again, bottom line is bottom line, Mo. So what do you think they're going to look for in a prospective buyer? Well, I think there's one thing that they'll say publicly and then there's perhaps another thing that they'll feel privately, as is often the case with football owners. And and let's not be naive to think that FSG are any different. So I think publicly they will talk about um, wanting to leave the club in 
a safe pair of hands and all, all the usual um, things that you'd expect to hear with, with something like this. Um, but I think, look, you know, they bought the club as an investment and that will unquestionably be their, their primary driver behind all of this. It's what will deliver ultimately the biggest return. There might be a group that might um, look to replicate as close as possible the FSG ways who may come along and offer £2.5 billion. And yet another group who whose um, views, whose ways, whose beliefs, uh, whose practices may be completely diametrically opposed to those of FSG, who may come along with an offer of four or five billion pounds. The likelihood is that they will have a real hard time um, turning down one and a half to two and a half billion pounds um, extra for that latter type of owner compared to owners like them. Um, as much as they'd like to perhaps be bringing in people like them. But at the same time, they are not naive either. Um, you know, John W. Henry's on Twitter. Um, his wife is on Twitter, Lin- Linda Pitsuti. And look, they they receive messages on a daily basis from um, the most rabid um, FSG outers um, in the globe. And sometimes I get copy. <laughs> I get copied in on some of this stuff, <laughs> um, for, for some um, bizarre reason. Yeah. And, I, I, you know, it, I mean, it, it's funny on the one hand, I, I don't, it's almost as if copying me in will somehow make any jot of difference to um, telling, you know, uh, John W. Henry and Linda where to go. But I, I can tell you that some of the abuse that they receive is, is really quite vile and, and very, very personal. Um, and, you know, they they uh they read some of these messages you know they they do see them and uh, they know that um especially after the transfer window just gone um there were a huge number of liverpool fans that uh were very disappointed in the ownership for um a lack of investment and, and i'll have to hold my hands up that you know i i'm one of the people that is out there saying that you know these owners haven't invested as much as other owners of other rival football clubs and have also been saying that they could perhaps have invested more. Um, so perhaps I've fed into some of that, but at the same time, you know, f- fans of football clubs um, want the best for their club. You know, that goes without saying um, the way in which some fans go about expressing that frustration um, may, may not be the way in which you or I might do, uh, but nonetheless, you know, when you, you're at the receiving end, it, it won't be pleasant. And, uh, and you know, as, as thick skin as they may be, nonetheless, some of, the, some of this will perhaps um, be difficult to deal with as well. So let, let's, let's, let's be absolutely clear. Um, I think money will be the primary driver. Though I think ideally they would want people that will come in and run the club in a well-organized, sensible uh, prudent sen- uh, and sustainable way. Um, but at the same time, I think they acknowledge that the vast majority of fans would ideally want owners that will invest their own money into the club as well. They know that they um, have had every intention and desire not to invest their own money into the club. They made that clear from day one and they've 
stay true to their word. But that, as I've mentioned on Money Talks before, is very much the exception um, and not the norm. The vast majority of owners of football clubs throughout English football um, across the football pyramid from you know the lowest non-league um, levels all the way up to the Premier League um, do invest their own money into into their clubs. Um, and they also know to FSG that the fans of this club, you know, overwhelmingly, not universally, but overwhelmingly would be happy to have owners that will put their money, um, their own money into the club to support, you know, for example, um, the signing of players, which is something that FSG would never, ever do. And even a pandemic um, didn't, uh, force them or cause them to invest into the squad, um, and and they felt again the frustration of fans um, back in the January 2021 transfer window when we were left right on deadline day to sign um, one player on loan from Germany in Quebec, and then another player um, from the Championship who never even played a minute of football for Liverpool Football Club, um, and and at that time with some of the comments that. Jurgen Klopp made um, again huge numbers of fans um, were very vociferous in their um, opposition to the owners and the perceived lack of investment at a point where fans were really wobbling because we went from I think first place in the league to outside of the top four um, in the space of a month from the beginning of January to the end of January so you know that the fume was at unprecedented levels then and it wasn't all that dissimilar in the transfer window that finished two or three month, uh, months ago. So, you know, that again is a factor and, and they know that, look, you know, fans want, um, you know, shiny new toys. They want, you know, big signings and, you know, the owners are realistic. They know now that, um, that there's some major surgery required on this squad. You know, there's no getting away from that, you know, just simply bringing in two, maybe three players, um, you know, in, in January and the summer is simply not going to be enough. There, there needs to be significantly more investment than that. And maybe they feel that perhaps that rebuild would be better delivered by um, those with deeper pockets who are willing to invest their own money into into Liverpool Football Club. And that, of course, brings us to <laughs> the magic question, um, which is obsessing, uh, being obsessed over by many, many people. Um and that is the question of who might actually be interested. Some names that I've heard today via Dave earlier on um, were uh, this Balmer guy, also um, the guys who are um, involved in Palace. Um, other names like that going around, obviously you're going to have links to previous uh, clients who might have gotten involved um, with uh, the first time around uh, sale of Liverpool, uh, last time around sale of Liverpool. Um, so there's going to be a lot of names that are out there, but an awful lot of it, of, cor of course, is just going to be supposition at this stage. You have sort of given us the feeling that perhaps you might have some knowledge of something that's at least less tenuous than an awful lot of the talk that's going on, but without wanting to put you on the spot, and I know you can't, who is a general sort of, who would be your general list of people who might be interested in what will be a very, very expensive asset in Liverpool Football Club? 
Okay, well, like, like I touched on before, um, what the sale of Chelsea Football Club um, identified was that there is a lot greater interest in buying a marquee Premier League football club than a lot of people um, realised. And, uh, you know, when, when the, the discussion around um, FSG would come up, um, normally in, uh, towards the end of transfer windows over the last several years, where, you know, you'd get lots of fume building up and fans saying, look, you know, these owners are not investing, they're not signing new players. Even if unbeknownst to them, it might have been, you know, perfectly valid other factors such as the the manager not wanting to sign players rather than the owners not willing to invest. Um, but nonetheless, um, a lot of this fume and, you know, fans, you know, starting up with the FSG out and all that stuff. Um, and the question in response from those that support the owners would be, well, who's out there? Who Who can possibly buy this club? And yet we know that the sale of Chelsea generate huge amounts of interest. Um, a couple of hundred different parties came forward and obviously not all of them were credible, um, but a, large, a surprising number were credible and it was shortlisted down to, I think, five interested parties, all of whom had money available and had to demonstrate that they had the money available to buy the club. Um, and then even after the sale, um, there was... Um, a, a kind of a, a late bid that came in right at the 11th hour um, from uh, the Ineos owner, Jim Ratcliffe, Sir Jim Ratcliffe. And, you know, he is a name um, that I mentioned on Twitter a few weeks ago. And the reason I mentioned his name is because he had hinted at wanting to potentially sign a marquee Premier League football club. And it is well known that he is a Manchester United fan, uh, ostensibly, yet... Um, he had made an offer for Chelsea. Um, so I'm not sure how, how strong his allegiance is to United are if he was willing to um, uh, try and take over one of their rivals in Chelsea. Um, and his comments from a few weeks ago suggested that, OK, um, he's interested in potentially one of the other marquee clubs. And the fact is there are only realistically two marquee clubs for, uh, for sale in the Premier League, Liverpool and Tottenham Hotspur. Um, because we know that the Glazers clearly didn't want to sell, and he and he and he talked about that. And then, obviously, uh, Abu Dhabi are not keen at this stage to um, sell Manchester City, whilst um, that that serves certain sport washing purposes. And um, the Cronky family are very happy owning um, Arsenal, and indeed they. Um, bought out the, the the only remaining shareholder in Usmanov about three years ago, I think it was. Um, so so they, they have no intentions of um, moving on from that club anytime soon. So that, by deduction, uh, left only two uh, potential clubs in Liverpool and Tottenham Hotspur. Um, and I would argue that Tottenham Hotspur are, are definitely overvalued because I've heard about some of the figures that they've been potentially um, touting and... Uh, you know, Liverpool Football Club can be bought for um, a similar amount of money, um, but Liverpool um, doesn't have a near £1 billion um, debt outstanding relating to the stadium. Um, and on top of that, it generates significantly more revenue. Um, so Liverpool would definitely be the more value for money investment. 
um, compared to Tottenham. And, and besides which, Liverpool clearly has much greater history, prestige um, than Tottenham Hotspur do, who haven't won anything of note, um, you know, for, for decades. So, yes, um, you know, Ratcliffe and his his crew are definitely interested. Um, and then and invariably there, there is um, going to be interest from the Middle East. Um, and then the other um, potential um, source of interest, I, I think, might be um, one of the, the very wealthy groups in China and possibly even um, the Chinese government itself. Um, you know, there have been times when they, they've taken a strong interest in football um, and the Premier League. Um, they've, you know, fluttered their eyelids at, at it um, at one or two points in the past. Um, you know, the Chinese Super League um, was a huge vanity project, which which has um, not died a death, but, you know, clearly has um, been scaled back quite significantly. Um, but, you know, China is another country which um, has problems with its uh, image uh, on the worldwide stage. and. Um, you know, what better way to try and um, heal some of that and improve its PR than to own one of the most beloved football clubs in the world. And and, and we also know that um, the colour red is, is, is quite a big thing um, in China. And to own a club um, that is famous for, for red um, would be, be um, quite good for, in terms of that synergy. So... Yes, I mean, th- th- there are multiple um, very wealthy individuals or groups that are genuinely interested. And, um, you know, for, for some fans, they may some may be less appealing than others. Yeah, and I, I don't think we're going to get away from that over the course of the rest of the chat because it will all come down to um, the decision made by the sellers, I guess. Now... <sighs> Of course, one of the legacies that FSG will leave will be the changes to Anfield. And do you, what would be your feeling around what any sale might potentially mean for Anfield redevelopment? We know there are grand plans ongoing. Um, there could be very serious implications for those in a good or perhaps in a negative way. What's your feel on it? Yeah, so we are coming towards the closing stretch of the redevelopment of um, the Anfield Road End. Uh, we know that um, over the forthcoming World Cup break, the roof to the existing stand will be removed and the roof for the expanded larger um, stand will be fully in place. Um, and so we will... F- start to get definitely a much better feel for the scale of that stand and it, it will be very impressive. And that's stay, um, that part of the expansion uh, will be complete next summer. Um, so we were talking another, um, you know, six months, seven months before that that um, will be completed. Certainly from the um, outward part, which is where all the seating is, maybe there'll be certain elements uh, within the stand which may still be completed into uh, the the, follow, the following season, twenty three, twenty four. But what about the other two stands? Um, there's always talk uh, amongst fans about, oh, wouldn't it be great to have a bigger cop or 
maybe do something about the Anfield Road end, uh, sorry, about the Sakeni Dalglish stand. And um, the, the reality is, is that um, to expand both of those stands would be highly complex, not impossible, highly complex, would take quite some time and uh, would potentially take years to deliver um, uh, for, for different reasons. And do FSG have the appetite to um, potentially go through a, a prolonged uh, battle with residents in the roads backing onto the Sakeni Dalglish stand and effectively buy them out of their properties and uh, force those sales? I would argue not. Um, whereas with the COP, um, the only really viable way to expand that um, stand is to either build over um, the Wartenbeck Road that runs behind it, um, which would be very complicated, um, if not impossible, um, other than to reroute it. And, and that in itself comes with all sorts of um, issues as well because of the fact it is designated as a B road. And then there are certain restrictions about what you can and can't do um, with, with a B road. Um, so the point being um, to carry out further expansion uh, would be very, very difficult. And on, and let's not forget the fact that Anfield, the stadium, is situated in a heavily residential area. It's not like Old Trafford, which is um, on the outskirts of um, of the city, um, surrounded by um, uh, by um, kind of a industrial area of sorts. Uh, it, it's not that kind of area is Anfield. So um, the the question then will be. Okay, we we still see enormous demand for tickets for Liverpool Football Club, even when it expands to sixty one thousand seats a stadium. Um, so, would the new owners then be tempted to um, go for something um, very, very uh, by way of a, a kind of a, a a stadium of sorts that will? try and replicate Anfield as best as it can, but ultimately would not be Anfield. Would the new owners potentially look to move out of Anfield? That might be something that they might look to do. We, we don't know that. Or they may decide, well, actually, look, um, wouldn't it, it would, though it would be great to expand Anfield further, um, we'd be happy for it to remain in 61,000 um, to still be able to generate you know, very significant uh, gate receipts and match day revenue and when the stadium expands it will be generating the region of about 100 million a year and yes it may not be quite the level of um, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium or the Emirates or even Old Trafford um, but they will still feel okay that that's still sufficient uh, we're happy with that and they will just stick with 61,000 um, but yes Anfield's expansion um that, that it, it could literally end with the Anfield Road ex, um, end it, it being expanded, and then beyond that, um, a new ownership group may look to do something very radically different, which is against what FSG went with, which was to redevelop the home and to instead up up sticks and move elsewhere. And obvi obviously, um, you know, some fans would be livid about that. Uh, whereas others might actually welcome it if it means that they'll be able to finally get into uh, into uh, you know the home of Liverpool Football Club and watch uh, the Reds in person.
Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's a thorny one right there. We'll we'll uh, just uh, leave that on the side of the road and whistle as we walk past because that's a whole big debate in and of itself that uh, may or may not rear its head again. Um, you know, one of the discussion points throughout FSG's tenure has been this whole sort of self-sufficiency model that they've got. Um some people love it, some people hate it, some people are in between, they're occasionally frustrated by it, they can see the sense, they like the fact that there's a sort of um, sensible aspect to the way our club is run in terms of uh, the financial side of things. Would you be in favour of a new ownership uh, um, group continuing in that vein? Well, no is the short answer. Uh, look um, I I definitely want owners that are financially responsible and running the club in a a prudent way Um, but like I touched upon earlier the vast majority of owners of football clubs will and do invest their own money into their clubs Um, FSG are amongst a very small handful um, that don't invest any of their own money so any money that we spend on transfers on wages are entirely generated by the club. Even this um, quote-unquote loan that FSG provided um, for the main stand expansion back in 2014-15 was actually not their own money. It was money that they had borrowed from a funder, and then they then borrowed it to the club. Um, So even even that was not their own money. Um, And, uh, you know, they've been always very careful about that. And, you know, there have been times when, um, you know, I, like most fans, have been frustrated at um, them not being able to potentially facilitate a deal for a really exciting young player and seeing that player instead go to a rival club or maybe, uh, you know, like a Real Madrid or a Bayern Munich, for example, and just sitting there thinking, well, wouldn't it be nice if maybe once we were that club, we were the one that was signing that exciting young uh, world potential world-class player? Um, And and that's why I think that this is an opportunity to potentially move away from that kind of um, model to one where the owners are willing, are able to invest their own funds into the club, but still having a a sensible financial framework in place that means that the club isn't spending recklessly and is not then in danger of ending up in the position that the club found itself in back in 2010. And I think that if that is what we can have in place, owners that are able to invest their own money whilst maintaining sound financial principles, that would be the ideal. What we all don't want are are people that are complete and utter idiots who make reckless decisions, um, you know, come in and perhaps um, decide, right, Jurgen Klopp, he's had six bad results, let's sack him. You know, that would be crazy and and we would all be fuming at that because money is not everything you know we, we have seen and and we've seen it proven under fsg that even with owners who don't spend a penny of their own money you you can still achieve great success you can still win the biggest prizes by just being very well run so a club that's very well run plus a bit of owner, direct owner investment is the ideal for me. And, and that I think, unfortunately now, especially in this post-FFP world where we're going to see new FFP rules being brought in, like I touched on earlier, which will make it a little bit easier 
for your Man Cities, your Newcastle Uniteds, your PSGs um, to spend even more. I, I, I think the only way we can compete against that is to have owners who are willing and able to do the same. Yeah, uh, I know that was something that Dave wanted me to ask you about, and you pretty much touched off all of it there. I mean, he was suggesting potentially, like, the potential for being that sort of almost something similar to what FSG were with the maybe uh, big splurge every couple of years. Um, you know, and I think it's a variation on, on, on the theme of what you were discussing there. But, I mean, it is exciting to think about a model that isn't just quite as frugal because it might mean that one of the things that uh, has been tormenting most Reds um, as we look at some of the best players that we've ever seen, perhaps we have a feeling that there's a little bit of waste going on in terms of maximising um, their best years, the manager that we have, um, and I, I understand. I understand those frustrations probably more than anybody. With new ownership, what might that mean for recruitment? Do you think is there a way to move forward that's sensible but also ambitious and you know exciting in the way that people who want shiny new things uh, could get behind? So Jurgen Klopp, when he came in, talked a lot about that as to believers. Um, but, you know, the fan base as it is now, even amongst those that are the most ardent advocates of FSG, um, when it comes to the subject of recruitment, are very much um, doubters. Um, you know, you, you could probably pitch the number at about 80 to 90% in terms of those fans that, always think that no it, whenever we're linked to a top player like let's take Jude Bellingham as an example um, you know the amount of pessimists out there on social media and elsewhere who when that whole subject comes up think no we'll, we'll never sign him. we never sign players like that we're not never going to spend you know 100 million pound plus on a player um, whereas for other clubs um, you know they, they their fans almost expectant that you know their club will sign a player of that caliber and of that kind of um, price tag, whereas our fans um, think in completely the opposite way. And it would be nice, like I touched on earlier, for us to think in a slightly different way, that we believe that we can compete with any club in the world to attract the most exciting players. And let's face it, you know, as much as we, again, like to think that you know, we can outsmart other clubs and, um, you know, be that bit cl more clever in, in transfer dealings. The the fact is that, you know, we have that purple patch from 2016 to 2018 where our recruitment was inspired. But that was at a time when a number of rival clubs had very disjointed, you know, very, uh, well, frankly, stupid um, transfer policies. And a lot of them have smartened up and are making, on the whole, you know, sensible decisions. I mean, yes, I mean, you will still get, you know, um, some very odd um, signings made by some of our rival clubs. But on the whole, um, they, they do tend to um, spend and invest in, in a wise way and um, sign, you know, very exciting young prospects, um, as well as, um, in, in some cases, established uh, players that are world-class or bordering on world-class. And, and that is where we need to move to now. We need to move to a position where we start to believe that 
our club will go out and bet and sign the best players available. And you just need to look at Newcastle United. You know, that was a club on its knees until their ownership um, group came in. And, you know, obviously many people have, um, you know, very strong opinions about the owners and, um, you know, all that goes with them. Um, but what you cannot deny is the impact that they've already had on on that club. You know, as I uh, mentioned to you, Trev, um, a couple of months back on this podcast, Newcastle United have spent more in the calendar year 2022 than Liverpool Football Club has post-2018. So, you know, we're talking about pretty much the best part of four years. Our investment in the squad has been less than um, Newcastle United, um, who've barely been able to reach mid, mid-table um, uh, status in, in recent years. And, and um, you know, look at the difference that has made to their club. You know, in the, in the space of a year, you know, they, they've gone from a club that was battling relegation um, to now having very real, very genuine thoughts about making the top four come the end of this season. And, and that's just with the benefit of two transfer windows. So imagine where they will be another, never mind two transfer windows, but, you know, two, three years from now with greater investment, with biggest um, quote unquote sponsorship deals, um, potentially with a better caliber manager even, um, you know, they will be a genuine uh, real threat to not only Liverpool, but even to Manchester City as well. Um, so that that is a kind of challenge that fans of Liverpool Football Club are having to answer now, is that what is more important to us as fans? Is it success on the pitch or is it the um, the makeup of the ownership? And and the, and the answer simply is that whilst, uh, you know, success ultimately is the um, overriding uh, factor for many fans, for an increasing um, amount of fans, um, the ownership um, it matters more than nearly everything. Um, to the point that I've even read comments amongst some fans who said, I'd rather never win anything again, but have owners that are FSG or owners like FSG uh, than to have people um, who are very different, who, who may run the club for uh, ulterior motives. And, um, you know, that that is where we are with football now, that um, where, unfortunately, you know, what goes on on the pitch um, sometimes is overshadowed by what goes on off of it. And, and for some fans, what goes on off of it is more important than what goes on on it. Yeah, and in, in a way, in a way that observation uh, is kind of covers... Uh, a question I was going to ask you later on about what the reaction might be if 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 new owners came in for sports watching purposes. So we will touch off that briefly, but just to tease out lastly this uh, impact that new ownership might have. I mean, there are other aspects of the club that we have to think about. You've you, we've looked at redevelopment. We've just been talking about recruitment and the playing staff. But you know, you've touched on something there. There are other things that might be revitalised. Uh, or injected with new energy like the commercial department or, dare we say, even the management structure around the football club that could potentially be tweaked or improved. I know it's almost a heresy to say it, but these are certainly things that might happen for good or bad um, with a new uh, a new ownership structure. I think that's fair to say, right? Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch, 
and those must-have fan threads. Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to anfieldindex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you know, if they're going to come in, they'll want to make an impression. They'll want to perhaps um, do things in a certain way. And, you know, they may look at things like commercial and say, well, look, you know, we, we think that as well as a club has done to increase its uh, commercial revenue, um, there is certainly scope for um, further growth. And therefore, let, let's bring in the absolute market leaders, um, maybe not just from football, but even from elsewhere, who are absolutely, um, you know, the, the best, you know, that, that can be found at generating revenue from uh, commercial partners forging very lucrative um, uh, agreements with potential partners as well, and um, you know exploring all sorts of um, ideas to generate income um, beyond what you could, can generate from TV and, and from the match days. So you know that will certainly be one area I think that they will look at. Um, they will potentially look at uh, Kirby, um, though we invested a huge amount of money into Kirby. And we have a fantastic facility there. There were actually one or two things that were not delivered um, as part of that redevelopment. Um, one of those being an indoor training pitch. So that I think went as part of the cost-cutting measure. And so Liverpool Football Club, unlike a number of rivals, does not have an indoor pitch. And by an indoor pitch, I'm talking about an indoor full-size pitch, which even Leicester City has. Um, at it's um, fantastic um, training facility, which actually cost double the amount of money um, of that of Liverpool Football Club's uh, Kirby um, training facility, which is known as the AXA training complex. Um, so that, again, might be something where they will potentially look to invest. If they decide not to invest um, in terms of expanding Anfield because of the um, challenges that I noted earlier on, they may look to still nonetheless um, do uh, things within the stadium. And in fact, that was something that FSG had talked about anyway. Um, you can then look at, um, and here's an interesting one, the fact that we lost one of our greatest assets um, in the last 12 months um, in, in Michael Edwards. So who's to say that a new ownership group may not approach him and say, well, how about you come back and let's get the band back together, mate? Um, you know, that, That's not entirely... Um, beyond the realms of possibility, you know, if he feels, Edwards, that is, that, um, you know, the, the kind of environment is there to support um, what he and some of the analytics guys and recruitment guys are, are looking to do, and especially with potentially more and greater funds available to invest in the squad and even into the uh, the youth academy as well, um, then who's to say that he can't be tempted to come back? Um, and then, you know, with the manager... Um, you know, I, th I think he would absolutely be um, at, you know, a, a complete focal point for any future planning for new owners. 
but um, you know they may think, well, look, you know, how how about a change of personnel around you? Maybe you can bring in uh, one or two coaches, um, maybe a new assistant coach who may have some other ideas and may you know be less inclined to um, give all secrets away in a book. Not that I think that that has played any part in our. Um, our, our, our woes this season, even though many fans seem to blame that book uh, uh, for more than just results on the pitch. But um, you know, even even things like that, you know, new owners might might look to have that conversation at least with with Jurgen. Um, so I, I think they will certainly look to come in and look for areas of improvement. And you know, no football club is perfect, and I, I think they will certainly look and hone in on, on one or two of those areas that I've just outlined. Yeah, fascinating, man. Genuinely fascinating questions to think about. And look, we're just coming up on the hour mark, but there's a few things I want to get through with you. And just to flag them up for people, I would like to talk to you about this idea of how you think it would go over amongst Liverpool fans if we did get um, some sport watching gents in. Uh, and what do you think is the likelihood of of of, of a Maybe a partial sale as opposed to a whole, uh, a whole, the whole thing, whole shebang being up for grabs, and then maybe we could finish off with a little bit of chat about FSG's legacy, uh, how they'd be remembered, and maybe how this will be viewed by other clubs. Um, the short version of that is, I would say, most some of them are absolutely shitting themselves at the concept of us getting money. Uh, I'd say that's for sure. But let's start with that question about sports washing. Um, which is, you know, certainly a blight on the game. We have all assumed high moral ground about it. And I think quite rightly so. It's remarkable to watch what happens when you offer um, the potential of glory. Uh, and we've used the phrase a few times, bright, shiny things uh, to people. Uh, those morals can sometimes disappear fast. I ha- I have a good feeling, Mo, that our fan group is genuinely different. And whereas there will be obviously a few who would just say, yeah, take the money, fantastic, and have zero moral qualms about it. I do think we're a little bit different. And I think it would be an absolute disaster because of that. I think it would cause all sorts of problems in our fan base that I genuinely don't think other clubs would have to deal with. Obviously, there would be moral objections um, amongst some Newcastle fans, but it doesn't. They seem to have really, well, I mean, certainly what you see on the TV, really embraced it. I don't think that would be the case with our supporter group. Maybe you have a different view. What do you think would be the reaction if we were to get a crew coming in, the likes of the ownership of Newcastle or Manchester City? Well, I mean, it, it is stating the bleeding obvious, but um, it would clearly be very, very controversial, um, you know, and for a host of reasons. And, you know, these are the reasons that we've talked about on this podcast before. Um, you know, what I will say, though, is that, you know, it's not as if um, we can sit there as fans of Liverpool Football Club and say that our owners have got um, a fantastic, squeaky clean record. And I'm going to... I'm certainly not going to suggest that um, you know some of the actions or views of FSG are comparable um, to those of uh, owners of other rival clubs. Though I will point out that 
and the point at which Liverpool Football Club were um, bought by uh, what were then known as New England Sport Ventures, NESV, their third largest stakeholder happened to be um, the New York Post. And the New York Post um, is uh, a paper um, that is well known to have um, written what were proven to be lies um, leading up to the Iraq war. And that was a war that um, resulted in the loss of tens of thousands of innocent lives um, in Iraq. And that was, um, to an extent, resulting from media coverage in the United States. And the New York Post was one of the uh, primary culprits for this, as well as certain uh, papers in, in, in Europe and especially in the UK. Um, and so the point being that at the point at which Liverpool Football Club were taken over, um, there was blood on the hands of the third largest stakeholder within that ownership group. Um, so when, when you think about that, when you think about the fact that um, Standard Chartered as the primary sponsor um, have, again, been proven um, to have handled funds on behalf of terrorist groups, which is something that Manchester City fans love to throw um, at the direction of the Liverpool fans, then I, I think we've got to perhaps be able to put certain things into context in terms of, well, you know, whilst we like to throw stones, um, we're not exactly um, um, throwing those stones from a position uh, of, of complete purity. Um, so the, the likelihood is, based on what I talked about earlier in terms of potential interest, that there may be groups who possibly could come in that may um, cause controversy in terms of um, you know, their record or their views on, on certain issues and certain matters. And so then it will come down to um, what fans' uh, views are about um, these matters and how important it is to them. And let's face it, and you're completely right, there'll be a certain section of the fan base that if um, a, an ownership group comes in uh, and, and their intentions are viewed as for sports washing purposes primarily, um, then that section of the fan base We'll make noise about it, but not only on, on one-off occasions, they will continue to make noise about it and will continue um, um, uh, until potentially those owners move on, even if that's 10 years, 20 years, 25 years. Um, whereas for other fans, um, success on the pitch is all that matters. And even if it means owners coming in um, whose views, uh, whose record on certain things um, are at odds with their own belief that they will reluctantly um, look beyond those factors, beyond those issues and they will just say look I, I, I love my club and I just want it to be successful and that is the dilemma that many um, Newcastle United fans have um, had to deal with, not only since um, last year when that club has taken over but even in the couple of years leading up to that when they were linked to a potential takeover um, from the Middle East. And so, you know, th this is something that, you know, e each fan will have to individually weigh up in terms of what is more important for them. Uh, but very clearly, um, and you're completely right, um, there will be quite a, a noisy, vociferous um, and very well um, mobilised group of Liverpool fans um, that will um, make it known that they are very opposed to 
certain aspects of the ownership group um, if if they do um, uh, come in with with uh, the view that they are looking to uh, use Liverpool Football Club for sports washing purposes. I think that's fair. Uh, it will be, as you said, at the top of a uh, outrageously controversial and problematic um, if that were to occur. The next two I'm going to wind into one because the first thing I wanted to ask you is what do you think is the most likely, a, a full and outright sale or or some sort of partial sale? And then, you know, I was going to follow that up by asking you if FSG do sell up and this would be obviously in their entirety uh, and move on, how will they be remembered by the majority of people, do you think? So I think we can kind of run those two things together before we finish with a little chat about how other clubs might be perceiving all of this brouhaha and potential um, for um, something major to happen to Liverpool Football Club. So first of all then, the likelihood of a partial sale. Uh, where do you think that stands as opposed to uh, the whole uh, of the club being moved on? And then if FSG do uh, indeed move on and, and, and sell up uh, the entirety of their interest in the club, what do you, what do you think is, is the legacy? How will they be remembered by, by the vast majority of us when we look back on this period? Okay, so firstly, what's more likely, a full sale or a partial sale? I I think at this stage, a full sale is is much more likely. We already know that they had um, made a partial sale, not of Liverpool Football Club, um, but of them as as an entity in itself. Um, They sold, I think it was a 10% stake to Redbird Capital, and um, that brought in about half a billion pounds. And... um, I'm 99.9% certain that not a penny of that was spent on Liverpool Football Club, even though Liverpool Football Club uh, was one of the key factors behind um, them being able to generate that much money um, from a sale of a 10% stake. Um, And I I think based on um, the initial report from Ornstein, um, from then the statement put out um, by FSG. But then later on, um, further reports from the Boston Globe, which is owned by FSG, as well as um, good old Paul Joycey Joyce, then I, I think it is very clear that this is not like previous situations where um, some tenuous link has uh, been reported and then FSG, normally in the past, it would have been through James Pierce, um, shot it down with a very clear, unequivocal statement. The noises today are, are very, very different. And yes, they haven't come out and outright said, yes, the club is for sale. And um, just again, to be clear and to uh, spell it out for some people who may be a bit naive to this, they it would it would be extremely foolish to come out and say, yes, we are selling the club because um, that will only weaken their position. And so it it makes more sense for them um, to say, look, you know, we are exploring whether it is in our interest to potentially sell the club outright, which is what they have said later in the day. And um, by that, it means that they're basically making the point, look, if you don't come in with an offer that we think is good enough, we won't sell. And, you know, the reports that I've heard is that, the, you know, FSG are are keen to sell for 
um, you know, four billion pounds plus. Now, whether anyone come along and offer quite that much, I'm not so sure. But if somebody comes along and offers slightly less than that, say three and a half, I think they'll be very, very tempted. You know, at that point, it's closing in on a 12-fold return on investment on their initial 300 million from 2010. Um, and I think they'll weigh up, you know, a variety of factors and think, you know, if if that that's um, about the high water mark for a potential sale, then, you know, we'll, we'll happily cash in. And as I touched on earlier, you know, they, they've got a couple of very significant um, areas that they'd like to invest into um, in, you know, one being you know, prime real estate and then the second being an, an NBA franchise. And so, you know, they need some money and they need a lot of it and they can't really afford to hang around for a couple of years um, because certainly one of those two uh, could fall by the wayside very quickly. And then the second one in the real estate redevelopment of um, the area around Fenway Park, again, timing is of, is of the essence. So, um, you know, th there are uh, clear and obvious needs to generate, um, you know, very significant money very quickly. And uh, at the same time, though, um, that they will certainly not want to give the impression that they're desperate to sell uh, because, again, that weakens their position uh, and potentially um, reduce the valuation of the club. Um, so, you know, they're playing it very smart and you'd expect nothing less from them. Um, but, uh, yeah, an outright sale certainly looks by far the more likely outcome. Now, in terms of what that means, you know, that they have owned Liverpool Football Club for over 12 years. And, you know, I and many fans have had, you know, frustrations to a greater or lesser extent about um, perhaps their ambition, um, their investment, um, and maybe one or two other things as well. But I think on the whole, I have to say that they have been very good owners of Liverpool Football Club. If you compare um, the position they found Liverpool Football Club in um, to where it is now, and I'm not talking about results on the pitch. Um, I'm talking about you know the, the club standing, um, the club's uh, finances, um, the infrastructure, all of these things. Um, you, you can only admire the work that they've done. Um, could they have you know delivered certain things a bit quicker? Could they have been a bit bolder with decision making when it came to potential recruitment and one or two other things? Absolutely, they could. But on the whole, um, you know, that they've led this club uh, very admirably, taken it to another level. And yes, um, a lot of that success has been due more to the likes of Klopp and Edwards. Um, but it was the appointments of those individuals. And the Edwards one in particular was an inspired one, um, which, you know, FSG went out and made. And, you know, we, we can't take that away from them. So though there have been certain failings, um, in my view, they've been outweighed by the successes. And overall, um, especially when you compare them to some other owners, um, you can only applaud them for what they've done. But the point that I made on this podcast last year was that I felt that we were getting to the stage where perhaps um, Liverpool Football Club had outgrown um, the, the ownership, that they weren't able to meet the expectations of the club anymore, and especially in light of what at that time seemed like a changing landscape in terms of financial governance around FFP. And I thought that all of those changes were only going to make it more difficult to deliver 
and sustain success under FSG, and perhaps we would be better off under a, a slightly different model. And so that's why one of the things I suggested on the last Money Talks was, um, you know, not that I would like FSG to go necessarily, but that I would like to see them adapt and change. And perhaps they, over the last few weeks and months, had reflected on that and felt that, you know, they that was beyond them, and perhaps they felt um, on top of needing to generate money for certain projects that maybe Liverpool Football Club's better long-term interests were with a group um, or an even an individual um, that is able to um, deliver financially in a way that they can't. You know, the the club era has been so special and it will forever be associated with them. Um, and so that will always outweigh anything else for me in the, in, in retrospect, should we be having a retrospective look at them as owners in the near future? And let's just finish with a, a kind of a little bit of speculation on, uh, on your part about what you think this is going to mean in terms of how uh, rival clubs will view this news. Like I said, my gut feeling, Mo, will be that it's really given some of them a sinking feeling because when you consider how good we've been with the model that FSG have operated, how good Klopp has been, how how successful it's been, all these Champions League finals and all that, obviously, <laughs> sideways note there, a little bit of frustration there. If we had different things, we could possibly have won them. However, it's got to be a worrying uh concept for the likes of City, for the likes of all the other um, people who consider themselves to be Liverpool's rivals, uh, to consider a, a Liverpool that might be a little bit more flush financially. 100%. Um, you know, today's news would have just left a sinking feeling um, for fans of rival clubs, but also for the owners and those that operate them as well. You know, uh, one of the things, again, that I've touched upon on Money Talks in the past is that, um, you know, across Europe, amongst the leading clubs, you know, there isn't, there hadn't been this real fear of Liverpool Football Club. Yes, there clearly had been on the pitch amongst managers and players. Um, but longer term, there hadn't been that fear. And that was because of the view that, look, you know, Liverpool Football Club has done exceptionally well. It's been a perfect storm where they've recruited um, fantastically well. You know, they brought in this world-class manager, um, but ultimately they have owners that don't invest into the club. And and that is the long and short of it. And, you know, the club is reliant um, on, you know, generating its own funds to um, pay wages and to um, invest in the transfer market. And ultimately, longer term, the view of rival clubs was that that would not be sustainable, that Liverpool Football Club wouldn't be able to keep on achieving world-class uh, recruitment, which was pretty much close to 100% in terms of success, um, that, you know, it would, you know, revert back to the norm at some point and, you know, they'd have their successes and failures in the recruitment um, side of things like all other clubs tend to do. Um, and the fact that, you know, they know that, Anfield is unlike very, very few grounds in world football and is expanding. It still has Jurgen Klopp until 2026. And if there is the potential for new owners to come in and invest in bringing in, um, you know, the, the, the leading young players in, in world football, 
um, that that can only put dread into rival clubs, um, not only amongst the fan bases, but amongst the owners, amongst the managers, and amongst other staff that are involved in thinking, well, when all of this comes together for Liverpool and financially they can compete with any of us, what is to stop them? What can possibly stop them from becoming an absolute juggernaut? And, you know, this is ultimately one of the things that is a frustration for, you know, Pep and and the City owners because they know that as much money as they've thrown at that club over the last 10, 12, 14 years, they will never have Anfield. They will never have that kind of um, special atmosphere that only that stadium and its fans can generate. And, you know, they know that they've achieved what they have in, in a bit of a more artificial way. Liverpool Football Club's success, its heritage, its legacy is entirely organic. And, and that is something that money can't buy. And the fact that money can come in from potentially new owners to augment and supplement that organic um, infrastructure, that culture, um, that, that, that just is something that is wonderful potentially for us as fans, um, but completely the opposite um, for rival clubs. I've gone giddy, Mo. I've gone giddy. We've spent 80 minutes and we've trolled through a hell of a lot of stuff there. A lot of insight from yourself. Lots for people to chew over and debate amongst themselves. Is there any last words you'd like to have before we just wrap this up? Well, I mean, obviously, um, you know, it, it's a very, very big story for Liverpool Football Club and, and the future of the club. And uh, clearly, if there are going to be any further developments, as I expect there will be, um, you know, that, that could happen, you know, either very quickly. Um, obviously, there's still the potential that nothing ultimately materialises and FSG continue to be the owners. Um, but whatever the developments are, um, you can be sure that, you know, we will be back here on Anfield Index um, to provide our own um, analysis and, and, and commentary on, on those developments as, as and when they transpire. 100%. I, I have a good feeling something is going to happen, I have to say, and uh, I look forward to talking to you more about it if and when this story develops. Um, but for this one, Mo, and for all the uh, various information that's been dropped on folks this evening, thanks very much. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.